The Ebony's and the Ivory podcast is a bi-weekly dialogue with Dr. Dejalon Jackson-Bell and Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Through the EITI podcast, we plan to promote our mission of dispelling myths, rewriting narratives, and championing women of color in higher education. All views expressed through this podcast are our own, do not represent any entity with which we are affiliated, and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information or to set up a consultation, visit our website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. You are now tuned in to Ebony's in the Ivory. gently remind you to make sure that you subscribe to all of our various social media platforms. Um, You can follow us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow and like us on Instagram and Facebook at Ebony's in the Ivory and follow us on Twitter at Ebs in the Ivory. You can also check check out our website, which is mobile friendly at www.ebonysintheivory.com. So, Dr. Poole, we, we're on episode 31, which is cray cray. I know. Um, I, I can't believe we've literally been talking about things that we love for 31 episodes. That's crazy. Like, I can't fathom it. That's crazy. <laughs> but, but that's all, Dr. Poole, what are we talking about today? Yeah, so for our. Th- 31st episode, um, we are talking about performative activism and the mistreatment of women of color. Now, you know, Preach. this is a crazy Preach. time right now. You know, they got a lot of stuff going on. Um, but what I always feel, which is always interesting, is that for us as women, particularly women of color, no matter what is going on around us, we always seem to manage to hold it down, hold it together for the people. So... In thinking about that, though, there are often these opportunities that come up for, when I say the people, I mean our employers, maybe our professors, maybe people we work with, um, even people maybe we're in relationships with or those sort of things. They don't necessarily always reciprocate that. And so in particular, we're not talking about all of those relationships, but we're talking about the idea centered around activism right now because we know we're also living in a time where our voices are needed. Um, and a lot of change is needed for sure. So this year has been crazy. You know, we're still dealing with the pandemic. Um, a lot of us have struggled. We, we even talked uh, one episode of the, the podcast since the pandemic's happening about just self care and getting back on track and how to have good boundaries. Cause working from home is hard and 
it's a lot. And then you look out your window or you turn on the news and there's literally like social and political unrest just happening everywhere. And so it's hard. It's a lot to bear. And so, of course, as people are trying to bounce back, like, you know, things are opening up a a little bit more in some ways, um, even though people still need to be wearing these masks um, and washing your hands. Um, Just just know that, you know, just like us individually, a lot of like, corporations and companies are trying to, you know, regain their footing around everything that's been going on. Um, and so, of course, institutions of higher learning are, are no different. Um, and a lot of times they miss out on the opportunity and their responsibility to do the work of anti-racism and really help to dismantle some of these barriers that we are witnessing happening every day. Um, and so just being able to recognize that when they do that, both students of color and then, of course, employees of color, particularly women of color, um, end up taking the brunt of, of right. that misuse and mistreatment. And so I really want us to talk today about, you know, how these like mis- mishaps or, or misusing of women of color to really fix mm-hmm. these broken systems um, doesn't always fit neatly into the way that these companies hope, um, because right. most of the time we come in shaking the table because we should. Right. And so and so because of that, we need to really think about what does it mean to like hold institutions accountable and really um, what does that look like? And so I I in thinking about what we were talking about this week, and you guys can check out the blog too to see more about this, but um, performative activism has been something that has really become um, a key word or a trigger word or whatever you want to use as a, as a way to sort of describe what these companies and these universities and even some individuals, celebrities, things like that, um, when they use their, you know, their... <laughs> form of activism, because that's what we're going to talk about, um, to increase, you know, their own social capital without kind of directly devoting themselves to the cause. And so what we saw, for example, back in June, we had Blackout Tuesday and, you know, a lot of people posted the blackout, the blacked out squared image on their social media pages. Um, and this was meant to be a sign of like commitment and solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and with all anti-racism movements in general. And so the irony of this was that like many of those same people, celebrities, companies, universities, sports teams, um, they haven't really gotten involved since posting those black squares back in June and it's September. So, you know, it really is interesting when we think about what this looks like, you know, that many of these companies or many of these universities just haven't made any significant sort of internal changes. So they had these outward showings of these black squares, but internally they haven't made policy changes. There hasn't been leadership changes, um, anything that really reflects like an authentic commitment to tearing down these biased systems that really keep people of color um, and more so women. We'll talk about the stats around that in a second, like out of these spaces um, and out of positions that they've earned. So it's not that any of us are asking to be given these things, but that's the reason why we have Ebony's in the Ivory. It's about the promotion of education and going and advancing yourself and then being able to walk into any space and get a job and a role that you, you know, earned and that you definitely are qualified for. And so um, we obviously see these performative activism acts um, affecting one particular population more than anyone else. And that just happens to be 
our Ebony's, so women of color. And um, just in thinking about some of the stats around it, um, I came across a, um, a 2018 article that was posted on higher ed jobs. And it really talked in detail about the underrepresentation specifically of women of color in higher ed and particularly in comparing them, obviously, to like the overall population. And so what we saw was in roles like being faculty or administrative positions or even executive level leadership positions, which are all higher paying roles, we're just not there. Like we are not promoted into those roles. We're not offered those roles. And so currently, statistically, um, women of color are paid 67 cents on the dollar in comparison to white men. And while that's, I mean, you shortchange, you owe me some change. Like you owe me, what is that? 33 cent. Um, So it's like being able to realize that if I'm not worth the 33 cent, then why are women of color often asked to fill voids in leadership roles? And they're the person that they want to forge the diversity plan for the institution and they want the inclusion overhauls done by them. And so all of these things that these universities want right now, they're going to this particular group um, to fix the issue, but yet don't necessarily view them as equal or um, even good enough to receive equitable pay. And so, of course, if we don't change sort of the system and um, and maybe not us because we we're we're that group, we're part of that group. But being yeah. able to think about these universities or companies or um, brands um, without them changing competitive salaries or really looking right. at like hiring practices, promotion practices, um, even turnover, like why people leave a job is important to know what's their experiences. Um, we really can't change higher ed. We can't really fix the workforce in that way and have more equitable campuses so that we can then be examples for the students that we're all teaching or right. training, um, particularly again, as women of color. And so my thought and we're about to get into the discussion about it, but like, you know, how do we fix that? And I just, since it's 2020 and this year is wild anyway, like we were just talking about before we hit record, um, it's time to just, you have to call people out. And this is the moment where, you know, a lot of us are using our voices more, using our platforms more, um, but it's also draining. And I don't know that we've ever talked about like racial battle fatigue on the podcast. We probably did in the earlier days. I feel like we could have, um, cause we was real radical then too, but, <laughs> but, um, thinking about that, like, yes, we are, we are committed to this cause. We all feel like we have a part to play, but it's also exhausting. And so that's why, you know, my thought is, yes, call folks out, like push your institutions to change the pipeline, ask for that pay raise, ask for that promotion. Um, we can't really allow these performative actions to become like a distraction. Um, and, and really get us away from doing the work that needs to happen to change the experiences for, for all of us that are in higher ed now, whether you're a doc student, whether you're faculty, whether you're an administrator. Um, but then of course the students of color, the women of color that are coming behind all of us as well, changing that experience for them. And so we know we've all worked real hard for those letters behind our name. It don't matter what, what they are. It could be BS or BA. It could be an MBA. It could be an MA. It could be an MS. It could be PhD. It could be JD. Um, we worked for those. And so it's really important to now make those same institutions that we got those degrees from and that we make look really good, um, work right. really hard for us. And so the performative activism piece just, it's getting old. And I think it's time to think about 
What does that look like to push our institutions in particular? Because that's what we do here at EITI. But wherever you are, if you work for a company or whatever, um, how to how to get out of that. So, Dr. Bell, let's talk about it for a few minutes. Like, what do you feel like you've seen and what do you think about the performative activism that you've seen with some of these universities or even companies and brands, too? Like, what are your thoughts about it? I actually made a post about this on Instagram. So, like, I'm a very passionate person. Um, so sometimes I throw, like, PC out the window. So I literally said about, you know, performative activism that it disgusts me, mm-hmm. um, especially because people can pick and choose and pick up the burden and take down the burden yeah. of being black. And we cannot do that. Right. We are in the fight. We feel the anxiety from the fight. Yeah. We feel the sadness from the fight. We feel everything that the fight entails and that's our life we live that 24 mm-hmm. 7 that's right we can't put uh, it down mm-hmm. we can't we can't put it down so when you see like you said celebrities or you see people that before this um you know didn't really say much and then you see the blackout tuesday um and you see you know they make that one little post out of fear that they would lose business because that to me that's kind of what became of it is, mm-hmm. oh, if I don't put a black tile, I'm going to lose money because mm-hmm. people were calling people out. They were doing the 15% pledge and the pull-up pledge and all that, which I totally love mm-hmm. as far as holding businesses accountable and things of that nature and universities accountable and um, holding universities accountable for uh, admitting racist students mm-hmm. and all of this. Yeah. And, um, but it, it sort of fizzled out, right? So. Yeah. Um, it, it really, it, it angers me because we don't get that luxury. We don't get that privilege. Um, every time a black man is killed by the police or killed by, um, a citizen, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it just, it takes us through the trauma all over. All over we have intergenerational trauma, um, epigenetics. Like if you understand what that is, like it's in our blood, it's in our, it's in our DNA. So every, we relive that every time it happens. And, um, and then it's especially unique, um, you know, when you're engaged in higher education and you see this happening on top of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So you're already seeing the disparity of those who are furloughed or laid off when you understand the, the, the disparity in terms of tenure with African-American women and you understand that when you're tenured, you're very less likely to get laid off. Yeah. So then whose jobs are safe, mm-hmm. you know? And what do those um, people look like in those who, roles? What, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then who's making the decisions as far as the safety of students and faculty and staff? Who's in those positions? Right. That's right. Or who's empathizing? Who's being compassionate? So um, it's, it's, a, it's definitely holistically it angers me i can't even get into like the systemic um i guess guess the systemic weight of it all Mm -hmm. um because if you really start to analyze and 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 dial into black women are um as always (laughs) we're at the bottom of the totem pole yeah um and it's more so exacerbated even now in the midst of social unrest civil Mm -hmm. unrest and then unrest in higher education um in all of those aspects even from you know health and all of that so um 
that is why performative performative allyship or performative activism disgusts me mm-hmm. because um we don't we don't get to put that down like people are worried about money and how things look in perspective and making sure that they cater to this idea or ideology or this brand and we are not included in right. that that's right so it, it angers me I, i'm like in the most basic sense of that it, it angers me it yeah. infuriates me yeah it's pretty obnoxious I yeah definitely definitely get that i feel like you know you made a good point in thinking about this concept of the fact that, you know, we don't get to put down our feelings about what's going on in the world around us, on our jobs, in our homes, um, what's happening to us in the streets. And so at what point then, you know, do we, we never gain any form of privilege around being who we are, basically. And it is a privilege to be us, but it does not, we never get to, we never get to really have time to embrace that. Um, because it's like, there's a, there's another battle to be fought and another battle and another battle. And like you said, other people, these brands and these companies and these institutions can pick it up and put it down, you know, and, and, and rest, um, in the fact that their lives or their brand or their, their pockets don't change. Um, and that's, yeah, that's crazy. And, And then taking into account that we also bring this to these places, these workspaces and places and institutions that we work in. And we bring all of that with us. We can't leave that behind. We can't separate our intersectionalities. We are Mm -hmm. black and we are woman. Those two cannot be separated. I actually had a conversation with my mom about this the other day as far as um, white women and them voting for Donald Trump Mm -hmm. um, despite the vile Disgusting. Things that have come out of his mouth yeah. regarding women. And I, I had to explain to her, we we're talking about feminists, being a feminist and um, feminist perspective and all of that. And I said, you have to understand that white women can separate the two because they still earn privilege for being white. Mm-hmm. And so even if they are sort of this quote unquote minority um, subgroup, they still benefit from white privilege, which which supersedes any Anything any else. um yeah. you know any any lack or for lack of a better word that they would experience as being a woman, mm-hmm. and they still play on white fragility and are still protected by white men. So, um, you know, when we talk about the things that we have to bring to our professional spaces and our academic spaces as black women and those two are intertwined because that's what we're seen as when you talk about those spaces performing instead of being authentic and genuine it's a lot yeah it's a it's a lot to bear it is a lot to bear um yeah, yeah. so i mean and thinking too about you know, what we've seen and you kind of, I mean, led with this too, you know, what do you think our expectations then as women of color should be around our advancement knowing, yes, we will have these challenges to face, but like, what do we need to hold true to knowing who we are and, and our, what our expectations should be? 
they shrink back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually a Bible verse. I can't recall where it's from. Um, but in that verse, it says, you know, we're not like those who shrink back. Yeah. We can't shrink back. This is the time where we have to be, we got to call it out. As you said, we have to be as bold as a lion because for too long, we've been quieted and we've, we've been, um, the subject of micro insults and micro assaults and microaggressions and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've been in, in those spaces where we're not treated fairly and all we have is our voice. Mm-hmm. And that has been quieted for so long. And it's so hard, like you said, when you speak of racial battle fatigue and just being tired, just being tired of having to speak up for your life yeah. and like your livelihood. Yeah. Like, yeah. why do we have to do that? But we have to, we have to keep the momentum. Um, we have to, let the movement that is happening now give us fresh energy, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite, and I was, I talked to my mom about this too. I said, as black people, we are privileged. We are unique. We are beautiful people. Mm-hmm. There is nobody like us. Um, and we, we learned how to thrive in the most horrible, horrible. And most oppressive. <laughs> yeah. Of, of circumstances, of situations mm-hmm. and circumstances, we still like how far we've come. It's just, just I just can't even imagine if we were even dealt a fair hand, an equitable hand, how much we be. We we are already so much now. Yeah, you know. So I just can't like it. It just it, it would be. I, I, I don't know. It would, we would be too much. Like, I feel like we would implode as a race because we are just so dope. Yeah. Um, so, we would blow um, this whole spot we up. Would, <laughs> would. But just being able to, you know, in, in the midst of all this, yeah. we, we are such a gifted and unique people and we have to use our voice and we have to, to, speak even when our voice shakes yeah. and we have to challenge ourselves. There were, there have been so many times when I was just young and uneducated, um, even with educated education, being uneducated about speaking up. And it's so many times like I, I and that's just kind of person I am. I think back about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, dang, I should have said something. Yeah. Like if that was me now, I would have told y'all. Yeah. Off. Like <laughs> you don't have to be, you don't have to be nasty. Like don't get me wrong. Of course. But like it's important to speak up. Yeah. Like I would have told you. Like those moments haunt me mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I did not speak up because when I speak up, I speak up for the next person. So you know when you inter interact and you're engaged with the next black lady woman, mm-hmm. you know you're not about to be talking to her. Like don't that. try like her. You understand? Don't right. try her. Like, as I put you in your place. So, um, as intellectually and in love and with love as I can, I'm going to put you in your place. Yeah. So, um, I think, like you said, it's just, it's important not to shrink back. It's important to value our own voices. Mm -hmm. It's important. So even when I think like from a research standpoint, because that's just who I am as a person, like really adopting, um, the black feminist perspective mm-hmm. um, and really adopting how valuable our voices are yeah, and how that needs to be highlighted 
and we need to be on campuses where there is appreciation for open dialogue and things of that nature. And you can be a part of the Black Faculty and Staff Caucus, Mm -hmm. and you can have those conversations, and then you can go out and affect change in your institutions because you might have a list of demands and this is what needs to happen. Yeah. So definitely um, almost in a sense unionizing mm-hmm. with other like-minded actual allies and not performative allies, That's right. but actual allies and like getting, getting the message across, getting the voice, getting your voice heard and getting again, the message across that, you know, we have something to say and we won't be silenced. And I'm not about to be uh, what I like to call a step and fetch person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to be there for you. Like, I'm not just going to say, yes, massa. Like, yeah. no, mm-hmm. like, this is what we're bringing to the table. And this is what we've earned. And this is what we, and it's hard. Like, yeah. it's hard. That's, that's something that is developing within us as black women. Like, yeah, for sure. That's something that, um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. So to that. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree. I think that being able to know who we are, you know, and, and where our power comes from, which is often from one another and seeing each other in these spaces and having opportunities and things like this to be able to be reminded, like you, you know, don't hang your head low or don't walk into any room and ever you know, become defeated before you've even opened right. your mouth. Um, right. You know, a lot of times we we just tend to do that, not because of not actually feeling confident in ourselves, but it is hard when you feel like you are, you're fighting that battle for somebody else, which is important that we're all doing, but also having to, to do that on a daily is really difficult. And so just Absolutely. finding the balance. Um, and I agree with everything that you said, like, there should be this expectation of us because we are so dope. And it's just like, and knowing that then to maintain that for sure. Um, and this probably gets into my, my next question a little, but like you have to have that understanding of who you are and also then know when are the moments where, yes, you need to use your voice because you will regret it later or you will, you know, just wish that you had said something. But then also knowing when you do that and when you've exerted that level of energy and passion, you have to find time to rest and revive. Yes. Um, because the battle is ongoing, like you said, and it is a marathon. So it's not like you could do a quick one-two punch and, all right, this settle, racism's done. I mean, if that was right. the case, our ancestors would have, you know, we'd have grew up a whole different life if that was the case. Exactly. So it's just exactly. being able to... Um, be intentional and be honest with yourself about what do you need in the moment to, you know, be the torchbearer, but then also know when it's your, your moment to rest and like having that. And I will also say this, Dr. Poole, because it's such a task, mm-hmm. give yourself grace. Yes. Because sometimes you don't catch, like I, I said earlier, you don't catch those micro insults, micro assaults, micro aggressions, and then you catch it later, you're like, uh, or you might not feel 
safe enough to say to, to use your voice and that's okay because you live to fight another day mm-hmm. so then that becomes a moment of introspection why didn't I feel safe enough to do that what do I need to change about the environment that I'm in who do I need to speak do I need to to seek my to speak with my mentor or whatever let that's me right. process why I felt that way yeah. let me process my surroundings yeah. um and you live to fight another day so if you don't feel safe in those places to speak up, that's okay. You're not a sellout. Mm-hmm. You're not, you know, hurting the cause, quote unquote. You also have to balance making sure you're okay. Mm-hmm. So that self-care piece, self-care is very um, extensive, expansive. It doesn't look like just one thing. Yeah, it's, not one, it's not one and done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You live to fight another day. So it's okay. You, you, if, you know, you can't speak up every time because it causes a reaction or anxiety or whatever that looks like. That's okay. You live to fight it other day, but as best as we can, like I said, it's a marathon. So we have to, um, we got to play the long game. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, well, I think we both, <laughs> we both jumped and kind of skipped and a- answered, yeah. you know, our tips thinking about what, what things, you know, our Ebenezer community who's listening, you know, what they need to do to break through these barriers and really change and challenge the pipeline. And I think we both reiterated the fact that like, you know, use your voice, use your platform, use these degrees, use the experiences that you have, speak up on them, but also understand the balance needed to restore yourself and offer yourself grace along the way. So yeah, I 100% and can I add something else? Absolutely. Like, draw strength from like your network so like the conversations that we have about this and mm-hmm. I know who I can call if I want to you know speak about you know career from a the perspective of a black woman if I need advice and things of that nature so get it from your network or seek like mentorship in that way and whatever you need um don't do it alone you'll get so burnt out mm-hmm. because most i mean you might be the only black woman in the room so once you leave the room go connect with other black women mm-hmm. go connect with other black people go connect with people who can pour into what you just emptied out yeah yeah i agree 100 percent. so ebony's we hope that this gives you something to think about. Um, I don't know why performative activism was on my heart this week, but, um, or last week, I feel like it was just something that has, it's been building up. And like we, like we pointed out, it's September and everybody had their little blackout post back in June. And there's not really much that's changed internally for the spaces that we're all occupying. And so just really look closely and intently and intentionally um at you know where you are whether you're in your doc program or your master's program or if you're faculty trying to figure out tenure whatever it is you know really look at and call to the mat the places that you are occupying for them to step up and stand by what they're saying um is their fight alongside you that's like the phrase everybody's like we we stand with you and we you know we fight alongside you and it's like but do you really because do you know what that looks like and maybe they don't because like we've talked about privilege and all those other things, but you calling them out gets the wheels turning and and starts the process. So yeah. we just encourage you to, you know, do your part um, as best you can, but also seek rest 
um, and restore yourself as you work through this process. And obviously knowing, just like always, we, we will be here to help in that way and use our voices for that too. So, um, give us some thought. Look at, look at your institutions. Look at your companies you work for, the brands you follow and you really like. Really take a look at what's the, the truth behind who they are and what they believe. Um, so that gets us through the first half of our show and we're going to take quick break right here and then we'll be back with our signature set segments to wrap up the show. We are back with the second half of our episode um, and we have our signature segments, which is our favorite part of the show. Well, we always say that, but I feel like we like the whole show. Obviously, we've been doing this for forever, but um, we always like this part because it helps us bring in stuff from um, outside of our thoughts and what we want to share with you um, and make it relevant to what we've been talking about as um, Ebony's in the Ivory. And so our first signature segment coming up is Culture Corner, Dr. Bell's favorite two words to say. Culture uh, Corner. <laughs> she is refined. She is blessed. Refined. Blessed. And so, and so, <laughs> and so, um, for our Culture Corner this month, I came across, obviously everything is still about this pandemic, y'all. We don't know when, I don't know when it's going to be over. I don't know. I have no idea. So, um, and you know, depending on where you all are, like Dr. Bell and I are in two different states and there's two different things probably going on. Like, we don't know. And so being able to know when it ends, how to continue to handle things, it's still up in the air. Um, but what we have seen and thinking about, you know, how this fits and affects higher education is that the pandemic um, and coronavirus is definitely going to force um, many HBCUs to have to think differently about fundraising and keeping themselves up and running. And I came across this article on, um, I think it was the Journal of Blacks and Higher Ed, um, talking about even though the fact that, you know, 14% of the U.S. population, um, you know, African Americans only represent about 33% or not only, but represent 33% of the coronavirus deaths that have happened so far. And obviously, disproportionately represented in the workforce, like we've been talking about. Their living conditions are usually um, not up to par when it comes to exposure to coronavirus. Um, and so what people are saying, this has now become um, a longer term issue that's affecting many of the systems that we all function and operate in day to day, which is also inclusive of education, higher education. And so because we're more vulnerable to these health conditions through things like hypertension, diabetes, asthma, um, our chances of getting the disease is much more increased. And so um, when we think about this and our, our um, overrepresentation in those categories, particularly like we were talking about earlier, being unemployed or furloughed during this time, um, even housing and food insecurity, all of these things play into it. And so then that too has the same effect on college students. And a lot of people don't think about that because they assume like, oh, they're in college, like they can go, you know, 
have their meals at the, the on-campus like cafeteria or whatever. But right. if nobody's there working or the university can't afford to keep it open, then that kid is on their own. They'll cancel that meal plan and be like, good luck, yeah. you know? And so it's just being able to recognize that so many changes have happened. And then what we know is that even prior to COVID, um, historically black institutions were not receiving the proper funding anyway. And right. so um, knowing that, and then when you throw a pandemic in where people um, are forced to go home, so you're not getting money from housing, you're not getting money from auxiliary services like the on-campus gym or the student right. union or the bookstore, um, these universities are literally being drained. And so um, all of those factors, like we just talked about, you know, has affected HBCUs in a significant way as well. And so as they start thinking about many schools, you know, either if they reopen sort of for fall, most of them are not doing in-person learning. Um, yeah. that then again declines the funding that's coming in. And so most of these schools function on a tuition based model. And so right. if they were already on thin ice before COVID, obviously they're going to be further impacted. Obviously you have students who are now having to return home to maybe family systems where there's unemployment happening there. Um, And then you have the ultimate sort of idea that like, there are going to be students who won't ever go back to campus Um, and have to make, I know it's, it's like discouraging because it makes a tough decision of like recognizing that if they maybe couldn't find, or maybe not even them, but their parents couldn't find employment during these last nine months or not nine months, six months or so. Um, you know, that cost of tuition isn't worth it or they or they just can't do it. And so because our whole higher ed system has been upended by these, you know, these financial issues, um, HBCUs have had to really take a different look of like how to learn from this moment and really create some well-funded endowments. And we've seen over the course of even the last few years, some, you know, very high profile um, black millionaires and billionaires um, give money to HBCUs, but that's not enough. And so it's this idea of thinking about, because that can't fix every HBCU. So it's figuring out then how do they create, you know, pipelines around endowments and how do you tap back into their alumni who've gone on to do great things and and really just sort of think about um, what to do across the board so that they don't have to face closure. And so... Um, the article goes into much more detail about, you know, this idea of utilizing, um, the money that a lot of schools received from the CARES Act and like just how to manage that money well. Um, yeah. so that, you know, at some point when things start to change or if there's ever for some other reason, an economic downturn, um, that this won't happen again. And, and some schools won't be able to recover if this happens again. And so just being able to think about, you know, will it be enough for us to, you know, get this funding from the government and move on when I think the answer is no, we, there has to be more done long-term um, in standing by HBCUs. So just a really Absolutely. good article and thinking about what we're doing right now or what we're all experiencing right now with COVID and um, that sort of thing. So Dr. Bell, any thoughts and additional thoughts on that? Well, my dad is a, is a professor at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that because he spent time in the corporate world and he's an HR guru and he knows how important it is to pivot. Mm-hmm. I know that in his professional space, in that role, he's been able to bring more 
light and bring more attention um, to the HBCU that he works for mm-hmm. from a national um, and, and global standpoint. Um, but that's that's going to be what it takes. So getting those partnerships um, from companies like my husband was just telling me the other day his university, I mean his not university, his job, his his company is, is not doing performative activism. They're actually trying to put their money where their mouth is. So they're trying to do more recruitment at HBCUs. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, reached out to my dad and he was like, hey, you know, I know you do this for this university. So um, can we link up? So they're trying to, you know, they're working with the Texas, he's working specifically with the Texas HBCU. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're trying to recruit students from there and make sure those students have what they need and they're doing partnerships and he works in construction. So they're, you know, they built a library for one of the HBCUs. So from that, it's like the HBCU is like, okay, you want to build our library? Okay, so this is what we need from you. Yeah. And we need you to hire students. Yeah. So just creating those partnerships, mm-hmm. um, highlighting the, the great work that is already being done at HBCUs, mm-hmm. um, and telling people to put their money where their mouth is. That's right. So if you want to talk about, you want to put squares, black squares, and you want to talk about it. Your company is pledging to do this. Put your money where your mouth is. Hire our students. Donate to us. And the federal government needs to do the same thing because for too long, HBCUs have lacked funding and it's, it's definitely been disparity between what PWIs get and which, what HBCUs get. Um, so I think, again, highlighting the great work, making sure that you know, being able to pivot virtually as far as still, you know, fundraising and getting donors in that way. Um, and we just need to call out people straight up. Yeah. Like we've been talking about, people need to be called out. Yeah, call them out. Whatever. Embarrass them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So just some thoughts. Definitely check out that article um, if you, you know, haven't seen it yet, but recent in jbhe um check it out just if you're curious want to know more about that so now we are actually at our favorite part of the show so i kind of lied earlier we do have a favorite part and this is it and i feel like i'm overly excited about this highlight and this spotlight um because this person she just means a lot to me and the irony is that when she listens to this episode she's gonna be surprised because i did not tell her that we were spotlighting her um so i'm gonna tell her before the month is out because we have to post about her but (laughs) but um i'm super super excited to have for this month's ebony's in the spotlight um miss alexis harris um, she is a current master student at LSU, our alma mater. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Um, and she is pursuing her master's degree right now in clinical mental health counseling. Um, she also has recently become, um, our, or I say my, um, office manager and clinical coordinator intern at my private practice because she's super interested in what that might look like for her as, um, a counselor in training. And so, um, she has done a great job. I think it's only been like 
three weeks. She's done great. Um, and she's also just been a mentee of mine for the last two years and she's just wonderful. So a little bit about Alexis. She's a native of Washington, Louisiana. So she's a Louisiana girl like us too. Um, she received her bachelor of science in psychology with a minor in kinesiology, um, from LSU A. So LSU Alexandria for those non Louisiana folks listening. Um, and in undergrad, she also played, um, basketball. She was a baller for real. Like four years okay. straight. Mm-mm, I can't even dribble right. So I don't even look right dribbling a basketball. <laughs> um, that was not my calling. So, um, so definitely wonderful in her college years. Um, and also since being a grad student, um, she has become an ABA line clinician, um, working with all different types of, of students and people. Um, and she's also, um, Really, really committed, obviously, as a former student athlete, um, to working with student athletes, um, whether that's mentoring, tutoring, providing academic support, social support, um, as they navigate college life. And so her plans, um, after receiving her master's degree is to become a sport counselor, like her mentor, um, <laughs> um, and particularly working with collegiate athletes. Um, we're going to get her to expand and if she, she can work with whatever athlete she wants, if that's what she decides later but collegiate athletes is her goal right now um and she really wants to uh help erase the stigma in within the black community about receiving mental health services and counseling and so um, i'm super proud of who she is she is um a woman of good character um but always thinking intently as again a former athlete student athlete um of how to make their lives better from a mental health perspective. And so we've had a lot of conversations and I didn't have to do a lot of coaxing. Dr. Bell and I are both guilty of when we come across women of color who we could just see it on them as like that they're phenomenal because people did that for us when we were uh-huh. in grad school. We're like, all right, so when are you getting your PhD? Or, Period. you know, <laughs> and so that's like the next question. So I think since I've known Alexis, she interned um, at LSU with me one summer, two, well, now two or three summers. I can't remember how long ago it is now. Summer 2018, maybe. Um, and I've been asking her since then. And so now that she's here at LSU, um, again, their master's in the program that Dr. Bell and I graduated from, you know, no pressure girl, but we, <laughs> you know, we know that you are a woman of high quality. So, yes. um, the expectation and the excitement around the fact that you aren't done with your master's yet and you have already started to consider, um, the process of pursuing your PhD is very exciting for us. And we are just so proud of you. Um, for just being a woman of standard, but also being able to think about what does it mean to take your education to the top, top level. So, um, we're very, very, very proud of you. Um, she is somebody who practices good balance. We talked about that today and self care. So in her free time, she, of course, loves to play basketball. Um, I do never, I never want to see her on the court because I, it will, it would embarrass me. So um, you practice with the basketball players and you picked up no skills. I mean, I just be holding the ball. I ain't really trying to like, you know, I might throw the ball, but I, I can't, I'm not going between the legs. I ain't dunking and shooting. I can't do that. I don't even think my legs, I don't even think my legs long enough to do that. I mean, I just be, I'm just watch. I'm supportive, moral support. Like, you know, I'll collect the balls. The ball go too far down the court. I'll be like, I'll get it in that. Right. Basically, basically, I got a PhD to go be a ball girl. Um, period. So 
anyways, so again, definitely don't want to see Alexis on the court. Um, no, I don't at least. Um, and so I, but I'll carry her basketballs for her. Like I'll, I'll do that. So that's hilarious. (laughs) So that's one of the things she loves doing her free time. She loves to travel. Um, she's recently engaged. So very exciting about that. Um, so she loves spending time with her fiance. I ain't gonna put his name out there. I almost said it. Um, don't do it. Nope. I'm not gonna do it. Uh, I know. Um, and of course, just a, a good down home family and friend girl like we are, um, and love spending time with, with those folks that matter to her. So Alexis, we're super proud of you. We can't wait to both, um, be excited for you on this journey, but also continue to support you on this journey through Ebony's in the Ivory. And so obviously highlighting you and spotlighting you this month is a privilege for us. And so we are so excited about seeing what's ahead for you. Yay. So happy for you, Alexis. Yay. Great things to come. Can't wait for you to start your PhD program. Uh, <laughs> um, but we're going to let you get through this master's first. We understand. So um, congrats to you, dear Alexis. So this brings us to the end of our show. And I almost laugh because Dr. Bell knows why. Because we at the end and I remember to keep going <laughs> at the end. Um <laughs> So we are so grateful, as always, to you guys for tuning in um, and for your dedication to Ebony's in the Ivory. Um, it's always so nice for us to get on SoundCloud and on um, Apple Podcasts and see how many folks still are tuning in, still engaging Thank with y'all. us. Um, and Thank it's not so me much. and Dr. Bell's moms only, like it's other people. <laughs> Um, and so, and so that makes us feel so great. Um, and so we hope that you will continue to tune in, but we also hope that you will share with a friend yes. or someone you know who's either in this journey of getting their PhD or they're thinking about it or, um, maybe they already have it and they're now on the job market, whatever it is, there's something for everybody for Ebony's and the Ivory. So we hope that you don't just keep it to yourself, that you'll share it with other people. Um, we're in season three crazy enough of this and so there's still more to come we're not done yet um but be able to make sure that you look out for our eiti tuesdays um if you haven't already like follow and subscribe on all of our platforms like dr bell said earlier um and of course you could be like alexis and have yourself highlighted for your accomplishments if you submit something for our EITI spotlight, you can do that on the website um, or you can email us directly and we will get it there and we will shout you out because we love to celebrate each and every one of you. So please make sure you do that. Um, and then obviously make sure that you are right back here with us for the next episode next month. But we will see you then. Bye, everybody. Bye.